This is the Marketing Podcast Network. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Robbie Samuels hosts the On the Schmooze podcast. Robbie, tell listeners what to expect from the show. Since 2015, I've interviewed entrepreneurs who overcame challenges to achieve success in their field or industry. Tune in to On the Schmooze to listen as I ask deep questions to elicit untold stories about leadership and networking. And where can people subscribe? Find the show at ontheschmooze.com or on marketingpodcast.net or just search for it wherever you get your podcasts. You heard them. Go subscribe. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Well, hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Susan Combs. Susan is the president of Combs & Company, a full-service insurance brokerage based in New York City. She started the company at 26 years of age with a drive to do more, better. And this internal, internal mantra has resulted in numerous successes and firsts, like being the youngest national president in the over 85-year history of women in insurance and financial services, and the first female broker of the year winner for Benefits Pro. And Susan joins me today to talk about her book, Pancakes for Roger, a mentorship guide for slaying dragons. And I can't wait to hear more about that <laughs> title, which includes lessons she's learned during her Midwestern upbringing and two plus decades in New York City. Well, welcome to Uncorking a Story, Susan. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me today. I'm excited to have you here, Susan, but I'm going to ask you the same question I ask everybody as we begin these conversations, which is, tell me, Susan, where does your story begin? Oh, God. I mean, I am not a New York City girl. I mean, I, I've been here for over 20 years, but I grew up in a small small farming community in the northwest corner of Missouri. Um, I grew up 30 miles from Kansas, 40 from Nebraska, 50 from Iowa, so right up there in the corner. Um, and my uh, my parents, like my grand, my my father was literally born on the dairy farm. Um, so we kind of got the, the Midwest values, Midwest upbringing, but then my father was a major general in the, the Air Force. So we kind of got the best of both worlds. And I don't think I really realized how different my upbringing was until my senior trip. Um, when we got on an airplane for the uh, to fly to South Padre Island and half my class had never even been on an airplane and my dad was a pilot, so we had an airplane. So that's what I think it, it kind of clicked like, oh, it's a little bit different. Um, you know, I had the older parents um, right. by Midwest standards. I mean, my my mom was almost 32 when I was born. My dad was 35. And that was old by those standards. Then. Yeah, no kidding. It doesn't um, sound like it now, though, right? Yeah, I know. Now it's like, oh, you're 40. You know, like you need to be over 40 to have a baby because you need to know what you're doing with life. But so, you know, I mean, I, I grew up in a town of a thousand people, graduated high school of 15. 
um, only one cousin in my class. So um, that really kind of grounded me to have my Midwest values and Midwest roots, even though coming to New York City and loving the hustle bustle of the city, but still remaining true to who I who I am and where I came from, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm picturing like when you see your dad had a plane. I mean, was it like, did you have like a runway in your backyard? Do you have like a, like a dirt <laughs> runway or something like that? Because I hope you no. did. But. No, we had a little Cessna. Um, and But I will say there are stories. My father was actually a helicopter pilot and um, he was known to land um, on the farm to pick up some meat. And <laughs> which wasn't really supposed to be known, but um, but it got picked up in the newspaper, the local newspaper one time. And then my dad says, OK, no more of that. <laughs> so... Did you ever get bit by the flying bug yourself? You know, um, you know, he let us like play and like hang on and act like we were flying. Um, and I, I think I don't know. I think maybe now I have a lot of friends. It's been interesting. I don't know about you. And, you know, I think you and I are around the same age. Um, I have a lot of friends that are like just buying planes right now and they're like, yeah, it's a business write-off. I can fly and see clients. I can do different things, especially in the Midwest where, you know, you have a lot more land. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think maybe eventually, but it was just nothing, nothing that I ever was typically drawn to, I guess. Yeah. I was just literally for my day job, um, just interviewing somebody, uh, on behalf of a major telecommunications company, who's a plane broker. Wow. And I said, tell me, does it make sense to own a plane? He's like, on paper, absolutely not. However, when you think about all the write-offs and this and that, he's like, for tax reasons, it actually, it can make sense. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, interesting that you-, you Yeah, I mean, the coolest thing, I mean, my grandparents lived in Washington, D.C. when I was growing up. And so we would fly there to see them. And I remember like flying to see like our high school team play state basketball. And that was kind of cool because we didn't have to get in the car and drive. So, um, you know, things like that, that were kind of neat that um, I guess, I don't know, maybe I just didn't appreciate enough growing up that way. But uh, but it's just, it's a little bit different, I guess. Right. So you would actually fly from where you live to Washington, right. D.C. How yeah. long would that take in a Cessna? I don't know. I was a kid. <laughs> it seemed like forever when you're eight, you know, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, we, um, I know we had to stop one time and, you know, I think we probably stopped around Chicago and then flew the rest of the way, but. Wow. Wow. Very cool. I mean, we, we used to drive to Florida from Connecticut. I mean, that's, you know, it's almost <laughs> the same. Probably took about the same amount of time. Um, but uh, well, tell me, so what, what brought you to New York? Was it career? Was it something else? It was a job. Um, I graduated college in 2001, and that was an excellent job market um, pre 9-11. And so I had eight different job opportunities out here on the East Coast. And so I came out here for spring break with my dad and actually went to all the different properties, some in Connecticut, actually, I looked at some stuff in Mystic um, and different places. And so I came out here to be a banquet manager at the Marriott at the World Trade Center. And then two weeks before my job started, they said, okay, we are rejiggering the um the budget and we're gonna have two banquet managers instead of three you get to pick from detroit or new orleans and i remember saying well my mother got me a going away cake and it had pictures in new york city it did not have pictures of detroit or new orleans right. they're like oh good for you kid right so um i made a deal with my dad i came out to new york anyway and said let me just interview around and see what i can find and that's where i really kind of learned the the power of networking and um my degree is hospitality so i thought that's what i do i used to work for the university and did concerts and sporting events you know i had a lot of fun doing that and i never thought i would get out of it um but then things change right and so i got pushed over to um a sales position for paychecks the payroll company and sure. you know it was my my background i have a lot of math in my my world so i did a lot of auditing for them and that's how i fell into insurance and then 
you know, um, started selling workers comp for them. Nobody knew how to do it. And I did it and started referring other insurance brokers. And then eventually the light bulb went on and I said, you know what, I can do this. So that's how I fell into insurance. And then about a year after fully integrating, I opened my own firm. So right, wrong, and different might be stupid, might be good. (laughs) It just depends on the day. Yeah, no, I want to talk more about that transition. But before I do, you mentioned sort of doing concerts and stuff in college. Um, What bands did you book and who did you get to meet? Um, uh, I did quite a bit of work with Bob Dylan. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Um, now, was, was he, um, gracious towards the audience when, when he played for you guys or. Yeah. So Bob was kind of funny because it's just like, I mean, my experience is the people that are truly the legends that they're, they're almost the easiest to deal with. Um, like all he wanted was powdered sugar donuts and pears in his dressing room. And he wanted to have a heater. Like the heater didn't even have to be plugged in. He just wanted to know it was there. And so the cool thing about him is he always decide, decides what his set list is before he goes on. Mm-hmm. So like the light, he does a lot of elaborate lighting. So the lighting guys have to scramble because they have to change things and get things ready. Um, I did one show with him that he decided to um, not face the audience. So he was backwards the entire time and that's what he wanted to do. And that's what he did. So um, that was cool. Um, Destiny's Child, when they were still together, worked with them. Kenny Rogers was probably my favorite. Oh Um, yeah. Yeah. Red Hot Chili Peppers. And yeah, I mean, Casey and Jojo back in the day. Um, So it was, it was fun. I mean, I had a good time. Did the Chili Peppers wear clothes? Shit. I was just going to go back on tour. And so it was just good to have the opportunity that I did to get more of a, a stable environment and a stable salary too. Yeah. Yeah. I was curious. Did the, did the chili peppers wear clothes when they performed for you? Were they fully clothed? The chili peppers? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I just watched, yeah, they were fully clothed. Yep. <laughs> I just watched that documentary on Woodstock uh, 99 and um, flea decided not to wear any clothes. And um Oh yeah, I know. I saw that documentary too. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, I think he's got Tommy Lee beat, but I'll leave it at that. Um, all right. So tell me about kind of transitioning over to insurance. We will talk about the book in a minute, I promise. But talk to me about kind of transitioning uh, from working at Paychex to uh, to starting your own brokerage. Did you get that or no? So I uh, started my own brokerage in two thousand five, um, and I had. A... I'm sorry. Say that again. Oh, no, I'm sorry, but our internet's a little wonky. So it's, uh, I think there might be a delay. Yeah, yeah I, I heard your question. Um, I'm just looking to see if I need to do anything on my end. Okay, um, do you want to do that again? Oh, yeah, I'm just curious as to that transition from, you know, working at Paychex to starting your own brokerage. Yeah. So I, I started my own brokerage in 2005 and, um, I had a mentor that really pushed me. I mean, I was working for a very large house and, um, the, it was DeWitt Stern at the time. Um, they're now risk managers, but, um, they, they were the number one entertainment broker in the United States at the time. So I got to kind of keep my entertainment background and do that fun stuff. And so after about a year working for them, they presented me with the opportunity to do a management trainee program. And, um, I had been on a draw situation where I was making $2,000 a month and in New York city, that doesn't really cut it. And, um, they said, okay, do this program. And then here's the contract. And I remember going through the contract and there was no money in it. And so I said to the CFO at the time, I said, well, what, what's the financial, you know, what's, what's going to be my salary. And he said, well, you're just going to have to trust us. 
And I looked at him and I said, well, trust doesn't pay my bills. So I, you know, I basically walked out the door and um, I had negotiated to own my book of business from day one. So when I walked out, all my clients walked out with me. So I was making over twice as much money as I was um, when I was there because I was no longer splitting with the house. Started it out of my apartment um, and just gradually grew. And then it's, I mean, it's been 17 and a half years now. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun. And I think my biggest success has just been being open to different things. So I work mostly as an expert witness now, and I do a lot of property and casualty and a lot of kind of quirky and hard, hard to place risk because that's just kind of how my brain works. And, um, but the opportunities that I've had have just been because I've been open to it. Well, let's talk about pancakes for Roger. I'm curious. Well, I'm curious about the title, but I'm also curious about, you know, how you came to, uh, decide to write a book. So um, the title is, um, it's it's definitely a hat tip to my dad. Um, my, my father was diagnosed with Agent Orange related throat cancer in 2008. And we had 10 relatively good years. And, um, and then the last year of his life, he relapsed twice. And so I was able to go back home and uh, to Missouri and basically live and care for him um, for the last few months of his life. And uh, he and I were very much type A, regimented, scheduled people. And so I would go to the gym in the morning. I'd check on him, come back from the gym, check on him. And then I'd get ready and then come down and help him get ready for the day. And um, one morning when I came down from getting ready, um, he wasn't at his hospital bed because we were fortunate enough to have hospice at home. And I went to the living room. He wasn't there. I went to you know his I love me room, as he called it. Um, and he wasn't there. And then I rounded the corner to the kitchen and he was, he was sitting there with a placemat and he had set the table. And... I said, dad, what are you doing? He said, well, I want pancakes for breakfast. And it just, I mean, it broke my heart because this man never asked for anything. And he had a feeding tube when he was on oxygen. So he, he knew when his oxygen levels were high that, that he couldn't have, he couldn't have pancakes because everything had to go through the, the feeding tube. Mm -hmm. So I looked at him and I said, well, let me see what I can do. And so I took his feeding tube formula over to the microwave, heated it up for 14 seconds. always like the general liked And I brought it over and he said, what's that? And I said, that's your syrup. And so his oxygen levels kind of started rallying around and he, he kind of nodded and kind of understood. So, you know, a few short weeks later, my father passed away and I took one day off of work in New York. And um, my husband said, why don't we go to the diner and have some pancakes for your dad? And so my uh, husband snapped a picture. We told the story on social media and we, I said, you know, if you're so inclined, why don't you go have some pancakes for Roger and remember you know, the, the little things in your life, because we all have so much to be grateful for. And those little things are the ones that end up making the biggest impact and really make the difference. So, um, so that's kind of how pancakes for Roger started. And then it became kind of a movement. So, um, the month of February, my dad's birthday was February 22nd. So my company, what we started doing is for every pancake loving picture we get in the month of February with the hashtag pancakes for Roger, we make a donation to the veterans clinic at the university of Missouri school of law that provides free legal services for veterans and their families navigating the VA claims and appeals process. So um, when we, you know, when we, we do that, it just kind of, it's spidered. I mean, this last year, man, we got all 50 states, 18 countries, and just, you know, thousands of dollars of donations for the veterans clinic. It was a lot of fun. So then I decided to kind of take it one step further. Um, and I'd had people after me to write a book for a long time. And it just was, you know, it was different, never the right time. I mean, it was, um, I think I went into work mode so quickly, um, when my dad passed away because I stepped into a lot of his shoes and handled, you know, we have two farms and we have several properties and, you know, the finances and stuff like that. So I handled all that from New York 
And so I didn't really get a chance to do a lot of the grieving. And so writing the book allowed me to kind of have some closure there and really do a lot of the grieving process too. Right. So kind of a cathartic process. If Absolutely. You Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the book isn't just called Pancakes for Roger. The The subtitle is A Mentorship Guide for Slaying Dragons. So yeah. tell me a little bit about that. What is What does that mean? Yeah. So, you know, I've had a great amount of mentors in my life. I mean, my dad was my number one mentor. I mean, my entire life for sure. But I've had a lot of great people in my life too that have really encouraged me. I mean, um, you know, the gentleman, Jim Casares is a mentor of mine that encouraged me to start my own brokerage firm and told me I could. You know, I've had a lot of great women in my life, a lot of peer-to-peer mentors. And so one thing that I realized is, you know, kind of like we were talking earlier about the, you know, the upbringing is a little bit different. I realize not everybody has great mentors and not everybody had a great dad. I mean, I really, I, I have several friends that didn't have great parents or didn't have any parents. So I, I kind of set it up to, you know, when I was writing the book, it, it started out as, you know, Pancakes Roger, a mentorship guide to life. And then I popped up at two in the morning and I was like, a mentorship guide for slaying dragons. And I remember talking to my team about it. I'm like, that's what I want to do. And they're like, I don't know, Susan. I, I don't know. And I'm like, you don't, you don't know me yet. You don't really know me yet. I said, as soon as you know me, you know, this is the right title. So I started testing it out with some friends and like the, the faces that I got, just like the joy that I saw it like bubble up in them when they heard me say it, I was like, that's it. It's gotta be that. So that's what kind of you know, worked out. And then, you know, I talk about in the book that, Hey, if you don't have a mentor in your life, use this book as a stand-in because this is the knowledge that I got from so many people. And, you know, I've always been taught that if, if you get good information, it is your responsibility to share it with somebody else, because if something helps you, it's, you know, inevitably it'll, it'll help somebody else along the way too. Right. It's almost like a way of giving back for, for what you've received. Um, are you a game of Thrones fan by any chance? I've never watched it. My brothers are though. <laughs> I The only reason I'm asking is because the dragons thing, you know, it plays a very big role in that. So I didn't know yeah. if, if there could be anything there in terms of a, yeah, no, a source sorry. of inspiration, but we'll, <laughs> we'll say no to that one. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, quite, quite all right. Um, so once you uh, wrote the book, oh, actually, first of all, you, you mentioned you know, people had been on you for a while to write a book. Why do you suppose that was? You know, I mean, I've just always had like kind of some dadisms in me and just, I've always kind of been a go-to person for advice. Um, I'm a fixer by nature. I'm really good at just taking like a a 30,000 foot view, listening to the sides and like just giving kind of like real talk, but then also, you know, a lot of heart too. And so I've just, I've always been one of those people that if somebody has a problem, they, they typically come to me. So I figured, you know what, write it down in a freaking book and just hand it to them and say like, don't call me today. I'm busy. <laughs> read the book, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Um, so in terms of, uh, you know, kind of going from, you know, it being a project, it being a manuscript, it being like a, a finished book that's out there for distribution. What was that process like for you? Did you go the traditional route of publishing? Did you do hybrid? Did you do self-publishing? So I, I worked with a company called Scribe Media and they're fantastic. Um, they're, they're down in Austin, Texas. And so I had an entire team there. So my, um, my publisher is affiliated with them. It's, it's their label, um, Lioncrest. And so if, if you've read the book, um, David Goggins can't hurt me. Um, mm-hmm. It's the same publisher that he used. So, um, so it's, it's definitely much a, a process. So you know, you kind of come up with like a concept of the book and like, you know, I, I wrote a lot, had a lot of thoughts and ideas, but 
you know, as well as I know that it's a lot of times it's a lot easier to just talk your story than it is to like, just write pen to paper because you try to be too perfectionist. I think when you, you're writing it on the, the page. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we did a lot of sessions where it was just like talking and almost like interview process and just really kind of looking at what lessons went together because I had a lot of notes of like different different lessons. So the book's divided into four sections, self-love, family, and career. So that's where the lessons kind of fall into. And so it was easy to kind of pull things, um, you know, apart and kind of mush them back together when we needed to. And it's written in vignette style. So, you know, I think the longest chapter is 10 pages. I mean, you might have a a chapter that's a couple of paragraphs long. I mean, it just kind of um, is really easy to pick up and put down. I mean, I always tell people start to finish. If you picked it up, it'd take about three and a half hours. But I have a lot of people that tell me like I almost use it as a daily devotional and just like pick it up and just like read a chapter every night before I go to bed or in the morning to just kind of have some extra motivation. So, well, that sounds like a a, a great gift giving idea for the holidays. Yeah, I know. And I just did the audio book. Um, so I was in the studio last month doing the audio book. So that'll be, that's going to be dropping before Christmas, um, but it's like 50 different places. So I think it's on the audiobook right now. I think, I think Sweden and Germany have it right now, which is kind of <laughs> funny that it landed those places first, but um, it's just kind of like a, a rolling opening on that, I guess. Yeah, no, actually I've, I've um, uh, interviewed a couple of Linecrest authors. Um, oh, okay, cool. Um, so I, I am, I am familiar with them. Some, some, they do some great work. I, I agree. I, I'm not just saying that because you're on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> or on the Zoom, as the case may be. Um, well, one thing that um, I like to do is always ask my guests um, some fun questions um, to, to kind of uncork who they are as people. Um, one way I do that is through pop culture. So I am curious, Susan. Oh, when you were growing up, what uh, were some of your favorite things to watch on TV? Oh, you know, I mean, in terms of cartoons, Jetsons was my favorite. It was absolutely my favorite. And my, I tell my husband all the time, I was like, I just want a helicopter that folds into a suitcase. <laughs> it's like, you know, with New York City traffic, I'm like, if I had my helicopter that folded into a suitcase, we wouldn't be taking two hours and 45 minutes to drive back from Jersey to see my mother-in-law. <laughs> like just- right. You know, I feel in many ways the Jetsons lied to us because <laughs> I think like we're living in that time or that, that time period now, I think. Um, and I don't have one of those Elroy backpacks that lets me float around. I would like one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, and it's well, and like, you know, I mean, I don't know about um you, but I think our mother's generation, like my mother would never take me to school without having her full face on. And so, you know, um, like Judy Jetson, I remember like her with a with the mask and stuff like that, so that she looked perfect when she needed to take a call or do something, you know, before she was ready for the day. But so I mean, in terms of cartoons, that was my favorite. I mean, I've always been a freaking Wonder Woman fan. Like I think a lot of people around my age are. Um, so that was always big, but you know, the, my family, man, I mean, I, I grew up on, like, if we're talking about like spending time with the family and stuff like that, Dallas Falcon crest oh. dynasty, like all those, like oh, good. as a kid, like my mom, like we would have popcorn and diet seven up because my mom's like, if it, it it's clear and it didn't have sugar in it. So if it spilled, it was okay. You know, but that was like, that was like a Friday night fun. And then, you know, my dad would come home with videos. We watched like all the James Bond movies and stuff like that. That was just always like, um, we had to kind of write a passage in our family too. Oh no. Yeah. That those movies were great. My, um, my dad used to take us to any new James Bond movie that came out and then, um, any Clint Eastwood movie that came out and he would take us to as well. And we probably a bit young for some of those, but, um, we love yeah. those dirty Harry movies, but you know, you mentioned you know, your mom never going anywhere without putting her face on. 
my mother, when she would drive us to school, because we were a little too close to take the bus, but too far to walk, um, <laughs> we she used to put on her lipstick while driving in the car, you know, down Newfield Avenue on the way to school. Um, I to this day, I don't know how we didn't get into an accident, but you I mean talk about distracted driving? She's you know, trying to marry Kate up in the rearview mirror while we're trying <laughs> to get to school. And uh, you know, I just have to, to observe Dallas, probably one of the greatest TV theme songs of all time. Oh yeah. Well, so there's uh, when, there's actually um, a picture of my brother. So my brother, when he was a kid, he would dance to that. I mean, he was older than me, three years older than me. Um, but he would always dance to that theme song. Like, so they have pictures of him like dancing, like in his like onesie when he couldn't even walk, he'd pull himself up and he would just you know boogie down to the Dallas theme song. <laughs> Um, what about music when you were growing up? What did you, what were you listening to? What did you, <sighs> what did you have in your walk, man? Yeah. In my walk. Oh my God. Um, I was, I mean, it depends on the, the year. Um, but you know, like Taylor Dane, I was a big Taylor Dane girl. I liked her, um, you know, and it was like the Wilson Phillips, you know, type of thing. But then it was also, you know, smashing pumpkins type of era, you know, um, I had older brothers, so there was always journey, you know, playing and, you know, ACDC stuff like that. But like, I was always a seventies kid, like earth, wind and fire. Like I'm, I'm still like a seventies person. I mean, that's like the Commodores. I mean, I, I always loved that type of stuff. So, um, I would say, you know, my favorite band is, is always going to be probably, um, earth, wind and fire for sure. That's uh, nothing wrong with that, but no. I grew up, you know, my formative years, I was into like, I mean, early on, like early rap. Uh -huh. And then, then I got into like hair metal and heavy metal, which I, which I still love. But these days I have yacht rock radio yes. on, <laughs> on my Pandora and I, I don't know the, the like the inner metal head in me is like really angry, but I I a little Christopher Cross every now and then. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, give me a little sailing brothers. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm good. Even a little Hall and Oates, I don't mind. Yeah. Every now so, and then. So I um I, I'm really into CrossFit, and so there's a guy that goes to my gym that's from Saudi Arabia. And he loves Yacht Rock, loves Yacht Rock. So we always have a day a week at the gym where you get to pick a song. And he and I always like make eye contact when he knows it's my song and I know it's his song because his is always Yacht Rock. <laughs> right. A little, little Pina Colada song comes yeah. on. It makes, makes me happy, even though that song is preposterous. Um, <laughs> but uh, I digress. Um, what did you learn about yourself while writing this book? Like putting all of these lessons together. Um, any big insights into yourself as you were writing this? Hmm. Um, you know, that's, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, like, I'm trying to be all deep with you here and I just got nothing. Um, you know, I'm such a project person that it's just like, I'm so scheduled and so regimented that if you're just like, Susan, I need you to do this. I'm like, okay, I, I got this. Um, I think probably the surprising thing I didn't realize is like how much it would be just a, a healing process. I mean, I ugly cried every single time we wrote um, you know, and so I really think that there was just a lot of grief that I hadn't processed because, you know, I mean, I, after my dad passed, I mean, I put four hours of family office time in my calendar every single week that first year he was gone. Mm -hmm. Um, because I was dealing with the department of defense. I was dealing with Arlington. I was de dealing with the, the VA. I mean, there was just a lot of moving parts. And so, I mean, I remember like, I talked to one of my brothers on a Friday and my brother's like, Hey, how's your, how's your week? And I said, well, I logged 14 hours on the phone this week to, you know, the VA Arlington and, and all, you know, all the farm stuff I had to deal with. And, 
of course he said, well, is there anything I can do? And I'm like, well, not now, (laughs) I've already done it all. But you know, I mean, so I think that since I went into work mode and I'm a fixer by nature, um, and I just hit the ground running, I just, I don't think I realized how much like unprocessed grief I had in me until like, I really started writing. Yeah. How did your uh, journey in ACDC Loving Brothers uh, react to the book? Um, you know, my, my middle one, Matt, um, still can't get through it yet. Um, because it's just, it's too, it's too hard. I mean, we had such a shared childhood that it just, you know, bring, it kicks up a lot for him. Um, so he, he, he'll say, you know, I I start reading it and then I start crying and he's like, and I got to stop. And, um, my oldest brother read it. Um, you know, my oldest brother is from my dad's first marriage. So it it was a little bit different. Um, but you know, it's kind of cool because, he, um, you know, he has a, a, a son, um, that's in his thirties. And so he's, he's gotten some of these lessons too. And he didn't, you know, he didn't grow up around us per se, because we, we lived in different States and things like that, but it was, it's been kind of cool seeing that kind of spider out. And also too, like my cousins got a lot of these lessons, but you know, the boys, I know they're, they're proud of me. I mean, I, I was, man, I was always so driven as a kid. I mean, even when I was 10, they were like, yeah, we know you're going to handle everything when, <laughs> when <laughs> dad's gone. I mean, it wasn't really a choice in my, my place for certain. Yeah. I noticed when, uh, when we had our cameras on, you had a banner in back of you that said hustle and the S was a dollar sign. Tell me, is there, <laughs> is there a story behind that? No, it's just cool. Um, I'm a Taurus. It's all about money, you know? Um, so, <laughs> um, you know, it's just, I've always hustled. I've always, you know, my, I've just always been driven. I mean, my dad told me, he's like, we never had to worry about, you know, putting pressure on you to do stuff because you always put so much more pressure on you than, than any of us ever did. So I'm just always, and in New York city, you have to hustle. I mean, I, and I think that, you know, the opportunities for women in New York, I think are second to none. Um, you know, I go back home to Missouri and it's just a, a much slower pace and it's great. Um, but I just, I wouldn't be able to do it there. Um, I need the constant kind of movement and and things going. And I, and I like, you know, I, I like, um, I guess I like working hard and seeing the results of that, you know, mm-hmm. the fruits of the labor. Um, so, you know, I, I get sometimes where people, you know, talk about like, you know, doing things and, and being driven and stuff like that. And I think that sometimes, um, sometimes we can just, people can just want to sit in the middle of the floor and just want it to come to them. And I feel like, you know, like in insurance, you can, you know, you can sell a client and then you can get what's called a broker of record letter. So it's basically a letter that the client signs over and signs the account over to you. I hate getting broker of record letters because I feel like I didn't earn it. And, um, so I haven't put in the sweat and blood, you know, that, it, that go into like winning a real big client. So it's just, and that's my own hangup. So I think that's the hustle mantra is, is definitely within me. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, if, if you could, um, give your younger self some words of advice, you know, imagine, uh, I always call this the, the Brad Paisley letter to me question, but if you could mail a letter to your younger self, um, what would you tell the younger Susan? You know, um, I mentor a lot. And one of the things I I tell young people all the time, I mean, especially if they're, they're in a sales capacity or they're in, you know, they're in my field of insurance, I always say like, you got to have a confidence shift. Like when you sit down, you know, in front of a client or a prospect and realize that they need you more than you need them, 
that's when you can see the confidence shift. And mm -hmm. it's not being braggadocious and it's not being arrogant. It's just saying that you need to know that you've earned your seat at the table. And the reason that they're sitting in front of you is because they know that you know what you're talking about and that you know so much more about the subject matter than they could ever dream of. So it's, it's a way to just have that confidence shift. And then you just see it. I mean, man, I've seen it happen so many times with, with staff members and people that I've, I've mentored and worked with where it's just, they can just feel less than, and they don't feel like they're deserving to be there. And then when you can see that shift in them, that's when, man, they can blow the doors off when it comes to sales. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, speaking of sales, let's uh, try to improve your book sales. So Susan, where can people go and buy pancakes for Roger? Um, you can go to the website, www.pancakesforroger.com. You can see kind of some of the fun pictures and things like that, that we post from the pancakes for Roger um, picture campaign that we run in February. Um, and you can just go on to Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble, um, you know, different places like that. But like I said, the audiobook is going to be coming out. So that'll be a lot of fun. But right now we have the Kindle and the hardcover and the softcover. But um, you can find more out about my dad, find more out about the Veterans Clinic too, by going to the website. And if people want to follow you on Instagram or other social media, do you uh, have any handles you want to share? Yeah, sure. Um, so my Instagram handle, um, and I'll tell you, we have a lot of fun on Instagram. There's, oh, so I tell people, if you don't have time to read the book, just follow me on Instagram and you get a video of a chapter every single Tuesday and you can just watch all those and you have the book basically. Um, but the Instagram, uh, handles at Combs and company. And then I'm on, you know, LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter as the insurance fixin. And is there anything else? Um, we have a YouTube channel, um, I think that's it for right now until there's like a new thing. Oh, I'm on TikTok too. <laughs> so. <laughs> I haven't been able to crack TikTok yet, but you know, uh, I haven't either, but I have a great social media manager and she, I do the videos and she handles it. <laughs> so. Maybe that's what I meant, but I would need somebody to actually be in the videos for me. Because, oh, you could do it. You could uh, totally do it. There you go. Well, I, are you dancing? Is is that a thing? Hell no. No, okay. no, 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 no. No, I'm just doing, you know, so the videos for the book. I mean, I, you know, I do some more fun stuff on, on Instagram. And then, you know, I post a lot of stuff about CrossFit and Strongman um, on Instagram as well, too. Well, this, uh, it sounds like this all started um, from uh, a social media post, um, which led to, uh, which led to eventually a, a book. Um, and we will be sure to put all of those uh, addresses and links in our show notes. And I will say, Susan, thank you for letting me uncork your story. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.